0: and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Kevin Eikenberry. He is the co-author, along with Wayne Termel, of the books The Long Distance Leader, The Long Distance Teammate, and now the brand new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. And in this conversation, we're going to dive deep into the book. We're going to talk about what Kevin calls the three C's communication, collaboration and cohesion and why those are important, not just for teams in general, but for culture at large in your organization. And in fact, culture makes it a fourth C. Not only that, but we're going to talk about remote work. And so taking those three things, those three C's communication, collaboration, cohesion and again, that fourth C of culture and then how remote work plays into and interweaves with those Cs. We're going to talk about setting clear expectations in the workplace and how that drives performance, strategies for identifying and addressing communication issues within a team, microcultures within a larger organizational culture, we've all experienced that, and tips for maintaining alignment with the overall culture within a virtual or hybrid team setting. Before we dive into the episode, I want to make sure you're signed up for our newsletter. Go over to List.com, drop in your email. That way you'll get announcements of brand new episodes, recaps of latest episodes, as well as my top three weekly finds to supercharge your productivity. Again, beyondthetodolist.com, drop your email in, sign up today, make sure you don't miss out. All right, I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Kevin Eikenberry. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Kevin Eikenberry. Kevin, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List.
1: Hey, I'm glad to be here. And we just found out that we're neighbors.
0: I know, right? I don't know that I ever tell people this, but I'm in a small town in Indiana, and it's about an hour north of Indianapolis, and you're in Indianapolis. And we just randomly found that out as we were recording. And you may be the closest person to me at time of recording ever, if I'm not mistaken.
1: And you know what? It's interesting because... It's one of those things that in the world of working remotely, at some level, as long as we know time zones, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter where we are.
0: Yeah, no, it, it definitely doesn't. And and you're hinting at what we're going to talk about. Of course, everybody that's listening has already heard me intro who you are and what you do and that there's a title for the new book, which has been out for a while this year. And you co-wrote it with Wayne Termell called The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. And this is actually kind of a, a follow up or a, a new addition to basically what's been a series so far from long-distance leader and long-distance teammate. So now this is the long-distance team. So I'm curious, you know, wh- what have you not <laughs> this is somebody out there's like, what did they not cover in the first two books that now they need the third one? Well, there's unique things in this one for sure. But talk a little bit about that journey of co-writing and creating those other two books and now this one.
1: Well, I've been leading, you know, like you and I were talking before we started that you've been working and leading remotely for a long time. So have I. And, um, I bought Wayne's company. Wayne's company was was called Great Web Meetings and he was very much an early expert on communicating at a distance using some of their tools that are maybe almost outmoded now, right? Uh, now that most most people are on Zoom and, and Google Meets and, and the Microsoft Teams. But I bought his company and we started helping long distance leaders, what we call them, long distance leaders, remote leaders uh, back in about 2016 or so. And in 2018, we wrote this book called The Long Distance Leader. Back when Corona was still a beer and, you know, that maybe you came at kind of the right time, we knew that the trend was more people working remotely. That's still the case. Obviously, the pandemic changed all that for a while, but that's still the, the trend. And, and, and so we started there and we knew that there was much to talk about for people that are doing the work and not just leading the work. And then this third book is really about the team and how we design teams for this future, which will be more virtual or hybrid as well as how do we create cultures that we want in this new
0: world. Very cool. For me, the unique perspective or vision in this new book has to do with something that a lot of people talk about, and it definitely comes into play when it comes to remote work, but it's this, the C word. There's three other C words. We'll get to those, the three Cs later. But the first C word is culture. And that's a word that I think so many times gets thrown around so much That it kind of loses its meaning. It's like when you say you love everything or say that everything is awesome. That's awesome. This is awesome. Not everything can be awesome. I'm curious. What do you define culture as when it comes to not just remote work, but organizations in general?
1: Yeah. So first of all, it's our belief that anytime you get a group of people together for any length of time, a culture exists. There's cultures in families. There's cultures in a workshop. There's cultures in everything. Anytime you put people together, you've got a culture and all culture is, is this. The way we do things around here. That's all it is. You know, people have lots of other kinds of definitions. And as you said, they throw that word around and it gets used so much as to lose meaning, but it's really as simple as that. Culture is simply the way we do things in this group. And the way it's done in one department is different than another. So we talk in the book a lot about what we call the difference between a macro culture and a micro culture, micro culture being that of an individual work team, the way we do things around here. Simple as that.
0: And there's a lot of things that fall underneath that, though. It's like, you know, in terms of this is how we treat people. This is how we organize our communication. This is how timely we reply to certain communications on which method it was communicated through, whether if it's text, it's it's more urgent. If it's Slack, it's maybe a little less so. If it's email, maybe a little less so than that. Or
1: But even those three things, if I can stop you just for a second, what you just said, I think a lot of people would agree with. But that's not how everybody plays those things out. And unless we have some sort of tacit agreement about even what you just said about those three different forms of communication, right? Unless we're all in agreement on that, we're going to have challenges. To the degree that there is a a natural approach to those things, as you described, whether it's been predetermined or just sort of evolved, that's all talking about culture. You're exactly right. Things like When we meet, how we meet, what happens when we meet, what's expected of us when we're meeting. Like you said, we could go on and on and on.
0: Yeah. And we all agree that's how we always do it, because that's how we've always done it, at least since the time it first got done, because everybody's got to remember that every tradition was started, you know, with a start point at some point. No tradition at this point has gone on since the beginning of time. It's just not possible.
1: Well, and which raises another point. So I said that culture always exists which it does, but it's also always changing, right? So let's just take tradition. Let's take a family, right? Let's take uh, Thanksgiving holiday, for example. The way Thanksgiving is at your house is different than it is at my house. There may be some similarities, that's fine. But the way Thanksgiving is at my house isn't always the same because people get married and new people come on board. We have children, we have people that leave us for any number of reasons. And so all of those things over time adjust that. It doesn't mean that the culture is suddenly drastically a hundred percent different, but it's always changing. And I think the big idea or one of the big ideas of the book is that if it always exists and is always going to change, the question then is, how can we make it change in a way that serves us? How can we make sure that the changing of it is for the better?
0: Yeah. And to me, it seems like, well, and you say this in, maybe not in these words that I'm going to use, but it seems that you're saying, That there's always an ebb and a flow. It's always there. And the thing that we need to have is one, awareness, and two, intentionality.
1: A hundred percent. And then I would say awareness, intentionality, and I'm going to put in between that, I'm going to put aspiration, right? So, and, and you know from the book that we talk a lot about what is your aspirational culture? What would you really like it to be? What would be the culture that would get you great productivity and great results and also be a place people want to be?
0: So obviously, if culture exists and we're all aware of it and it's what we've all agreed on, who's in charge of it, I guess? Who owns culture? Is it the leadership? Is it the management? Is it democratized? Is it everybody? Where does that fall in terms of, you know, ownership slash agency when it comes to that?
1: Yes, all the above in a way, right? So if I'm talking to you, if, if I'm talking to one of you who's listening and you're a frontline leader and you're saying, well, this is really interesting, But this belongs to senior management. I would say, well, if we're talking about the macro culture of the organization as a senior leader, they have some agency around recognizing the need perhaps to change it or to nurture it or to adjust it. And as a leader would be responsible for raising that question. But for you as a team leader, as a frontline leader, you have that responsibility for your team, but you don't have sole ownership of it because if culture is the way we do things around here, Everybody is in the we, right? You're in the we and I'm in the we and everyone else is, right? So we have a joint responsibility and a joint need for it to be effective, right? And so the point that we have as the leader is to say, hey, we need to spend some time thinking about this, right? And so we're not just floating and letting culture be what it is or what it's always been. I mean, let's just take it this way. If culture has always existed on your team, the world is changing. You know, we could talk about a pandemic changing it. But even past that, things are changing. People are coming and going. And so the question becomes, is it the one we, back to our what we said earlier, is it the one we want or not? And as the leader, we have that responsibility to raise our hand and say, wait a minute, we need to talk about this. We need to be intentional about this. We need to talk about creating an aspirational picture of of what we want it to be. An individual team member is probably not going to be doing those things, but that doesn't mean they don't have responsibility for this as well.
0: So we all have a say because all of the culture affects all of us. We're all part of it. Even when certain aspects of it we never touch, it touches others who then touch us and so on. So it's, again, it's all part of the this is how we do this.
1: Yeah, we own it collectively, like many other things in the work. The leaders have a unique responsibility for sure. It's also not something for leaders to dictate, in our opinion, to say, okay, here's what we want the culture to be.
0: Now, the other thing is, so we, we've talked about culture here a bit. The other term that's used in terms of the book is you use this term of team design. I'm curious if you could define that. Then we'll move on to these three C's.
1: Sure. Well, so if we think about our world, we've had teams. So a couple of things happen. One is we create new organizations in which we need to design teams, how teams are going to operate, who's going to be on them, what the reporting relationships and all that stuff are going to be. Now, we've been doing that for a hundred years right? But now we're doing it in a world post-pandemic where those teams may be living in different places. They may need to be constituted differently because of the distance or distribution or hybrid nature of those teams. And so our thought is how do we intentionally rethink about the design of our teams given the nature of the work and where people are doing it Rather than just saying, well, we need teams, we need to put these people together. But we need to do that in a much more intentional sort of way. And that's sort of connected, obviously, to culture, right? So if we were starting a brand new organization from scratch, we would need to think about both of those things. Most of us are living somewhere in the middle or, you know, in an ongoing organization. And then the question becomes, is, are our teams designed in a way that gets us great results? And if not, it's time to redesign them. And then, of course, culture comes along with that.
0: And so that team design, as well as it intermeshing with the culture, you know, designing culture, having aspiration. And so that's the thing here is once you've got that level of awareness of what you already have or your hand on the pulse overall and you have intentionality, but in the middle you've got, well, you know what? Here's where we want to be, even if we're not there yet. Here's where we want to be with our culture, with our team design. That's where I think the three C's, this new model comes in. So I'd love to break down if there's three different C words, communication, collaboration and cohesion. Let's, um, define those and spend a little time, you know, camped out on each of those, I guess.
1: I think the good news is that we all know what those three words mean at some level. And so our point is that those three things are the big chunks if you will to use yet another c word are the three chunks of what culture becomes because you said it earlier culture is a lots of lots of different things yes and most of them come down to communication collaboration and cohesion so how do we communicate what tools do we use to communicate you talked about some of those things before uh the frequency of our communication how much does communication move up and down and across and what does that all look like how do we communicate how effective is our communication that's one of the c's so if you were trying to create an inspirational culture, one of the things we want you to think about is how do we want communication to work around here? And having worked with organizations for over 30 years, I can tell you that even in highly effective ones, most people will say uh, we could be better at communication, right? So because it's critical and because it's complex and because it's hard, we're always needing to work on it. But communication is certainly one of those things. The second of them is I'm going to go to cohesion and come back to collaboration. So. Cohesion is the level of trust, the level of respect, the level of relationship, the level of psychological safety, how connected do people feel or not, right? In many cases, people felt like this was lost during the pandemic or lost simply when people are working at a distance or we're hiring new people on our team at a distance. And so to the degree that cohesion is important or the types of cohesion that are important, we need to be. Designing that into not only our design, but our culture and the expectations of the work. And then the other one is collaboration. And the only reason I saved it for last, you describe them in the order we talk about them in the book. I saved collaboration for last because a lot of times in a virtual setting, people say, well, we need to get people back in the office because we can't collaborate unless we're all in the same room, which of course is silly, right? It's really not true. And people say, well, what about the whiteboard in the in the conference room? I say, well, you mean that whiteboard that's got the same things written on it? It's been there for 17 months? Yeah, that whiteboard. But we also can have a whiteboard, you know, in any of our virtual platforms, a matter of getting used to using them. The other thing that I would say about collaboration is how do we get things done together that could include brainstorming, but it includes all sorts of other things as well. And collaboration doesn't always have to be synchronous. Right. When we think about collaborating together to brainstorm or solve a problem in a meeting, we think about collaboration having to be synchronous. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, we can be using Slack as a communication tool, Slack, Microsoft Teams, whatever. And it doesn't have to be completely synchronous. Asynchronous collaboration can be very effective. And we work with lots of organizations, with people in far flung parts of the world that are still able to collaborate, even if they're not all online or all working at exactly the same time.
0: So something that might be interesting as kind of a work through here would be, say, we're part of a team and or we lead a team currently and we're hearing all this and we've read through the book and we think to ourselves, you know what? I have an existing team and we're not really firing on all cylinders or we're not on the same page when it comes to how we communicate or how we collaborate. We do not have cohesion or at least not as aspirational we we have aspirational and we have some awareness and some intention but we're just not where we want to be aspirationally going through each one of these 3c words i'm curious how do we start to assess where we're at like do we start with communication do we start with collaboration Cohesion's a whole other thing. When you said cohesion, it, it makes me think of the word adhesion, which means sticking together, which that you know, obviously I'm a word nerd, so cohesion is when things are all the parts are moving and working sticking together as a whole, working together. Some is greater than the the phrase that I'm about to butcher. <laughs> so you get it. <laughs>
1: one plus one equals eleven. How about that?
0: There you go. Great way to put it.
1: Energy, right? So I don't know that it necessarily says, well, work on this one, then work on this one, then work on this one. So if I were a leader and I was bringing my team together for us to talk about what's the culture that we really want, I would use those three C's. And if you had the book, The Long-Distance Team, there's all sorts of questions in there that you could use that would help you. But fundamentally, I would probably open a conversation about those three things and say, in a perfect culture, what would our communication look like? Given the nature of our work, given the nature of our output, Given the nature of our context, what would great communication look like? How would we know we were having great communication? What would that look like? And so I could start there. I could start with collaboration. I could start with cohesion. I think you want to examine all three. I think as a leader, if you know that there are or, you, you know, everyone is clear that there is an issue in one of the, of the three, I'd probably start there, whichever one that might be, rather than saying, you got to start here. You got to start start there. Because the other thing is, they're all interconnected clearly. Right. I mean, you can't collaborate without communication, for example, and the more the greater levels of cohesion and relationships and respect and trust on your team, the easier the other two will come as well. So they're all connected or interconnected. So I don't know that it matters where you start necessarily, but I think you need to examine all three.
0: Yeah, it was kind of a trick question. So, I admit that. I, I can be <laughs> uh okay. I can be about that. Uh, but but what I want to say is is then it, it seems to me like there's there's certain kinds of questions that we need to bring up or discuss or all, you know, in the same way that culture is owned by everyone, it seems like communication, how we communicate and how we collaborate is owned by everyone. Now, obviously, well, maybe not obviously. I think in some aspects there are certain ways where Leaders have a little bit more of a say, but maybe not. I mean, everyone has a say, but I would say that when it comes down to it, someone still has to decide based on all the inputs and the perspectives and the the data slash experiences, because sometimes, you know, one person may be a holdout and there's like, I'm not changing. So in other words, somebody has to lead, but it's still an ongoing group conversation. And what are those questions we need to be asking ourselves at that point?
1: Chances are we don't live in a true democracy, right? The leader does have a little more say at the end of the day. But if we're, if we're leading effectively, it would be my opinion that we're not leaning into our opinion early, but rather late. And oftentimes if there's more than one way that will get us there, focusing on our way isn't necessarily the best, even if it's equally good, right? Or in our preference. So there's, there's that piece of that. But to the other half of your question, which is, okay, we have an aspirational culture. We have some agreement around it, but there's someone that just doesn't really want to play that way. I'll take the extreme moment of that and say that if someone really doesn't want to live by this cultural aspiration, then they're probably in the wrong place. And to me, at the end of the day, the way we do the work is as much about the work as the work itself. And so, this cultural stuff, the expectations and boundaries and behaviors that exist there are a part of the job. And so I think it's our job as a leader to coach people to help them see that. And I don't think it necessarily means that the day we finish some conversations about an aspirational culture and someone is sort of, you know, not all in at that moment doesn't mean they need to be fired tomorrow. It means that you need to give them some time and space to think about that, to see how that really plays out. But if we're six, eight, 10 months out, and someone is really sort of an outlier to what everything else is trying to happen, they're probably in the wrong place.
0: In some ways, it seems like it's maybe it's having an ongoing dialogue with them and they come to the conclusion that they're in the wrong place. And they deci- it's their decision, not yours. In other words,
1: it should really become somewhat obvious, right? Like, like this is just not how I want to work. Well, then you know what? Let me help you find a place that would be because this isn't, It's not serving the rest of the team. It's not serving you. So you're not the right place. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to fire you necessarily. But to the degree that the person comes to that conclusion themselves, it's much more powerful and allows everyone to uh, decouple in a way that isn't nearly as negative.
0: Yeah. It's realizing, okay, it's not a fit. And that doesn't mean that, you know, we're not right for you or you're not right for us. It's just not a match. In other words, we can look at it like dating and say, Hey, you know what? We just don't work well together. No hard feelings. There's other fish in the sea.
1: Well, I've been married a long time, so I don't really remember what that was like. Neither do I,
0: but uh, (laughs) so it's
1: like a good analogy though.
0: Yes. So here's the thing. I'm curious, though, like if someone says, "Okay, you know what, we've identified that our communication is really something we need to focus on. So if we're going to camp out on that one for a while and just say, all right, we're going to have some conversations, virtual or in-person or hybrid about our communication, what kind of questions do you think are worthwhile to bring up to get everybody on the same page or to get them sharing about what's working or not working with the communication as a whole?
1: Well, I think the place to start is to focus on where do we have challenges? Where do we have issues? Where is there frustration? So if we think about how we are communicating as a team, where do we get sideways? Where do we have trouble, challenges, frustrations? Where is there miscommunication? And if you ask those kinds of questions and let people start to talk, you'll start to figure out where the gaps are, right? Well, some people only want to communicate on this tool. Some will only want to be on Slack. Someone never want to pick up the phone. Like, We'll start to figure out this stuff and then we can say, well, does that serve us or what would serve us better? I think that's the first set of questions is sort of the aspirin questions. Where are the problems? And then we can ask the vitamin questions like, okay, what would we really like it to look like? Right. What would the perfect world look like? But usually it's easier to do that after we've talked about where the
0: pain is. Yeah. Identifying those pain points so that you know what you're addressing.
1: This is where we know we need to get better, right? Yeah. Um, And we can say, well, where are we already pretty good? and how do we make that even better? But I think we, we definitely need to talk about the challenges component. And usually starting there is an easy way to get people started. We don't want it to become a complaining session. There's no problem with people complaining, as long as we can get past blaming and into, okay, now what do we do, right? As long as we can bring it back to asking ourselves accountable questions about it, rather than saying, well, you know how Joe is always doing that. And Joe's sitting over there like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, we don't want to live there. We need to move past there. And as a leader or whomever is facilitating, that's a key component. Let people bring things up, but don't let them stay there where they become where we're playing the blame game.
0: Obviously, again, going back to the title of the book, the long distance team, when it comes to getting everybody together to do these airing of grievances to a certain threshold and then capping it at, OK, well, now we're just complaining how do we make sure that we're doing that in a healthy way when doing it long distance? I would say that,
1: and of course this all depends, but if I if I were leading a team or if I were consulting with an organization that really wanted to work on creating aspirational culture, I'm going to try to bring people together in the same room for some of those, at least the first part of those conversations, if at all possible. It may not be possible because the richness of communication of us all being together is of great value. If we can't do that, then we've got to make super sure that everyone is getting an equal chance to share. It probably means that if we've got some people, it, it also, it all depends. Like if everyone is virtual, we're all in our home office like you and I are right now. If everyone's there and we're all equal in that regard. That's different than if some people are in the conference room and others are in their own locations, right? If, if that's the case, if we've got this hybrid meeting scenario, then we've got to make super sure that we're getting those people who are virtual involved, which means asking them first, making sure they have plenty of chances to get in because the natural human behavior is we start talking to people we see right in front of us. And we want to make sure we avoid that. In fact, for our team, which has been hybrid slash virtual for over a decade, we rarely have a meeting where some people are together and others aren't. In fact, if some people are in this, in this office building and we're having our meeting, everyone's in their, in their own space and we're all virtual with the people who aren't in Indianapolis. So as a way to keep us sort of all equal in that regard. But if we are virtual or hybrid, those issues need to come up as we talk about the three C's communication, collaboration, and cohesion. But we also want to have those conversations in a way that, that give everyone equal voice, equal say, and that they feel equitable.
0: Yeah. Setting up that even playing field. For expectation, communication there is, is really what I hear you saying is a good starting point. hundred percent. Yeah. I know that you also talk about in the book, building the micro inside of the macro. Can you break that down a little bit?
1: Sure. So we said it a little bit earlier, right? The macro culture is the organizational culture and the micro culture is the culture of the team. If you've ever been in an organization and walked from one department to the next, you know, they don't feel exactly the same. That's what we're talking about. They have a different micro culture. And so. If the senior leaders or if the the large organization has spent some time thinking about, here's the culture that we want, and then you're trying to create a, a microculture, you want to keep that big picture in mind so that you're not off 80 degrees, 90 degrees from that culture. It needs to be a sense of boundary so that you're in alignment with it, but it doesn't mean it has to be exactly the same because it probably won't be exactly the same. That's okay. As long as we're not misaligned greatly or misaligned on things like values, you'll be just fine. But identifying it as both macro and micro is one of the ways, it gets back to the question you asked earlier, like who owns it? And when people on a team say, well, that doesn't belong to us, that belongs to someone else, trying to pass that off to senior leaders is really not helpful because you still have your own culture on your team.
0: Yeah. Anybody who's been in a team that's been part of a department knows that there's that other department that does that. I mean, they may be part of the whole and, you know, they aren't (laughs) they they aren't off the table completely in terms of everybody's in one place. But, you know, they all agree that they do their thing their way. But it's not how we would do it if we were tasked with the same thing. Or at least that's how it appears to be, because, you know, sometimes, hey, if we move to a different department and we Oh, now I get, actually, I've I've had that happen where I've moved departments and been like, now I get why they do this differently and why it frustrated us. But for them, it makes more sense this way. And we just never knew.
1: 100%. Yeah, you got it. And I believe that once we start to think about microculture and macroculture, it makes it easier for us to not judge that other department, but just say, okay, that's where they are. And when we realize that, rather than saying what's wrong with them, it's okay that they're a little different. It actually opens up the door for us to ask questions to understand why they do it, right? Clearly becomes obvious when we show up in that group, as you said, but maybe you can give us the chance or the the runway to have conversations with them as
0: appropriate. Even being somebody who has jumped departments, so to speak, and been on the other end of it and then has sent and slash received either this, that, the other, especially when it comes to communication or documentation, You then get to be on the other end and say, oh, man, I hate it when they send it this way. And that's how I used to send it. And so then you realize, oh, we could have been on the same page so much better. We could have changed to help them and they could have changed to help us. And we're all in the same thing. We we all have the same macro, but our micro could have been, to use one of the C words, the micro could have been more cohesive. So 100% for sure. I know that also in the book, you talk about applying the power of expectations. I'm curious if that just goes beyond the aspirational, as we've talked about already.
1: Well, let's just talk about it in the, usually when we think about expectations on the job, we think about what does my boss expect of me, right? And we can have a long conversation about how many leaders at all levels around the world aren't as good at that as they think. Like they think everybody knows what they expect. And they can't even say to a third party what they expect. Like they're not clear enough for others to be clear. But let's talk about it from the perspective of what the example you just gave. Like in in Department A and Department B, let's just say that's the two you were talking about. If we have a chance or a a venue in which to share expectations about, well, when you deliver this to us, here's what we need, then the other group's probably going to deliver it that way if they know that. But if they don't know that, they're going to deliver in a way that makes sense to them based on the way they view the world or what seems easiest to them, as opposed to what you ultimately really need. So setting clear expectations is simply a way of describing success in the work, whether that's with my boss, whether that's with my coworkers, or whether that's department to department. And I think that this very simple idea is one of the easiest, well, put it this way, it's low-hanging fruit almost everywhere you go. It's an easy way to make improvements whether it's you as an individual leader with your teammates or team members, whether it's across the team to spend some time getting clearer about expectations and back to our stuff about culture earlier. If a team has shared those expectations and at a shared level, we would call those agreements. Those agreements become the backbone or the framework of the culture, right? Cause we agree we're going to do these things. And if we're doing those things then that's what our culture is, we're moving in that direction.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly the, the the word agreement is what the culture is because this is how we do things. And how do we know that? We decided it was so.
1: <laughs> well, and, and that doesn't always happen, right? Like sometimes things have just tacitly become the case. And so we sort of go along because that's what we think it's supposed to be or we know it's supposed to be because others do it or we were taught it. And it may have never really been an agreement. But what we're really talking about creating an aspirational culture is making many of those things more explicit, right? Both the current ones that are working as well as the new things we want to move towards.
0: Yeah. It, it's the difference between, you know, a passive agreement. Okay. Well, this, I come in and this is how it was already done. And I came into contact with it. So I agree since I work here that I'll do it that way versus everybody being assertively agreement. Yes. This is what we believe in terms of how we do it and how we treat each other and how we work together. And, and again, it's the aspirational of intentionality. You got it. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, there's so much more in the book and you and Wayne did such a great job with it. And again, this is one of three books on this topic, essentially of, of, long distance and teams and leadership. And I'd love to be able to point people to where you're doing all of the good work that you're doing and where they can grab the books as well and find out more about you and all the work. So where can people find you?
1: Well, the easiest place is probably com K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N-B as in boy, dot com. That's our main website. And if you go under resources and books, you'll find all the books there. If you go to Amazon, you can easily find the long distance team, the long distance teammate, the long distance leader. All of those are available specifically for team. You can just go to longdistanceteambook.com to get an excerpt and learn more about it and us there. And the last thing I would say is certainly love to have you, anybody to connect with me on LinkedIn. I put lots of content there every week and uh, would love to know that you found me because of the show.
0: Perfect. Kevin, it's been great talking with you. Lots to share, lots more to dive into. I will link up to everything you just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. And thank you so much for being here.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Kevin Eikenberry. We hear a lot about culture when it comes to organizations. We definitely hear a lot about remote work, but Kevin's approaching it the right way. We're talking about it from the right perspective with the three C's slash four C's. And again, I've heard the word culture thrown around so much, and I don't mean in like culture war kind of a way, but in like work-life balance and productivity and organizational culture so many times oh we have culture yes we all do but all that to say i hope that you enjoyed kevin's take on this i hope that you got something great out of it i hope that you dare to grab the book and take it into your organization and your workplace to make a difference even in your small section of it your team alone let's start there if you found this helpful and i hope you did would you do me the favor of sharing this episode with somebody you know needs to hear it Hit that share button wherever you're listening to this, your podcast player app of choice, or head on over to beyondthetodolist.com. That's also where you can drop in your email to get signed up for our newsletter so you don't miss an announcement for any new episodes, special exclusive content, and my top three weekly finds to supercharge your productivity. It's a great companion to the podcast. And when you're subscribed, you can just hit reply and send me a message. Thank you so much for sharing this episode. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next episode.